This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over. And to my absolute delight, I have Sin Blaché and Helen McDonald with me. And I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves so you guys can get a bead on their voices. So who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, hello, everyone. It's great to be here. I'm Helen McDonald, uh, better known as a nature writer. I wrote Ages for Hawk and the collection of essays, Vespa Flights, that came out in 2020. Hi, I'm Sin Blaché. I have not written any of those kinds of things. Uh, this is my first novel, uh, and I'm otherwise a hobbyist musician, and uh, so it's been a blast. Okay, former Californian, too. Yeah, for, former Cali- still a Californian. Okay, so how did you end up in Ireland? So in the 80s, my uh, my dad left Dublin, which was an absolute nightmare at the right. time, and came over to California, met my mother. They got together in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's family's from L.A., so that's where we lived for a while. And then eventually, because uh, it sucked, uh, we... Uh, we left basically at and around the riots, so we went, this sucks, and uh, we went to Dublin, which, it was the 90s in Dublin, it wasn't exactly, you know... Uh, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough, but uh, then we ended up moving up to the northwest of Ireland in Donegal, so it's very different from LA. It's very, very rainy. Very rainy, yeah. very cold, yeah. all the okay. time. All right, profit. I'm smiling just thinking about this book. I'm smiling thinking about this wild, wild book that you guys have made. This, this book was so much fun to write. That's what honestly, I needed to know. It felt illegal. Like, okay. honestly, I just constantly would be like giggling to myself and giggling with sin about stuff we were writing. Yeah. Yeah. So Neil Gaiman blurbed Prophet. See Pam Jang, who I love. Yeah, also, amazing. Like lots of people have said very yeah. nice things about Prophet. And I'll tell you, too, your editor passed me a copy ages and ages ago, and I just looked at it and said, okay. I mean, because the combination <laughs> of Elizabeth and the two of you, and I was like, okay. And I have to say, I was howling through the whole thing, for all of the right reasons. Please don't misunderstand me. Like, <laughs> Rao is my guy. Yeah, Rao. Rao. Is totally yeah. My, what my a chaos disaster. machine dude. Yeah. yeah. The oh, rudderless okay, pleasure hound. Yeah. Absolute he goblin. Is, yeah. He is absolutely the guy. So I want to sort of stick to Rao and his his work partner, Adam, because I don't want to give anything away. We're going to yeah. sort of dance around some of the big plot points because what you do in this <laughs> Sorry, I can't <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> I can't stop. It's so great. I do want people to be able to come into it and experience it the way I did, which was literally someone passing it across the table. I knew, no- I just knew Helen had written it and had a co-author. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Okay. And it's a proper 50-50. This is what I love about this yeah, book. Like people, sure. yeah. you know, originally originally people are sort of saying, well, did 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 Sin ghost it? And then you write it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This was genuinely like, even now, we don't even know who yeah, wrote what. We get into yeah. fights. We do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any good okay. lines in the book now, we always say it was the other person. Yeah. And and you know, it's it was it's fun trying to it's it just feels so seamless now, you know. Well, and the other thing is too, the dialogue is so good in this book. And Helen, you kind of notoriously ages ago, you wrote a radio play and you were like, yeah, dialogue's not I sucked. Like, you <laughs> I got sucked. much better. I, I've learned. <laughs> the dialogue so, so in this Sin, book is great. Sin is, is, is just preternaturally gifted at dialogue yeah. and characterization. It's terrifying. I'm sorry. I'm going to say nice things about <sighs> this talent of yours because it just blows me away. But I learned. I learned from Sin. And, and towards the end, I was like, you know, running all over that territory and writing loads of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty good at it, except when I was writing American military 
well, Americans, Americans generally, yeah. Generally, I mean, they ended up, yeah. they all ended up sounding like minor Jane Austen characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. With lots of, lots of subjunctives and, you know, would, would, and would that it were so simple. And so would be like, Helen. Helen. No. It can't be like this. But yeah, no, I, I did learn. And I, I really enjoyed writing dialogue. Okay, so wait a minute. How did the collaboration come about, though? Because you wrote the bulk of this book during lockdown, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically all of it. Yeah, we uh, once the lockdowns stopped in Ireland, because it was differently staggered in the UK and, and Ireland. So once the lockdowns stopped in Ireland for sure, and they were letting people in again, we finished the book. So most of it was done actually over the internet, over DMs. Yeah, and DMs emails. and social media and emails. Yeah. And, and I'd known Sin for about a decade, a bit more okay. than a decade. On Twitter, we were Twitter friends. We'd, yeah. we'd talk mm-hmm. about fandom and re- you know, before you were things. a big deal. Before, I, before Ages yeah. for Hawk, yeah, I was this sort of starving academic. And then during lockdown, yeah, we just started chatting more and more and more. And, you know, the, the, one of the things that surprises people is we didn't meet until this book was nearly done. We literally hadn't set eyes on ourselves. And luckily we, we got on. Yeah, that would yeah. have been awkward if we... Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was all through DMs and emails. And later we got a, a, you know, a sort of shared document we used. And it was it was a really interesting thing for me to do. I mean, I I you know, nature writing is not renowned for its collaborative. You know, it's one of those sort of yeah. you know, it's singular male consciousnesses striding across the moors. You know, mm-hmm. um, but Sin had worked before with other people, so yeah. collaboration was something that you'd yeah, you'd I, I was used to it. Um, back and forth, generally speaking, a hobbyist writer as well as a yeah. uh, musician, and so um, a lot of that looks like on the internet, just writing stories for your friends and following what they want to hear, what you want to present to them, and whatever else. So collaborative writing uh, just comes naturally, I guess, through years of doing this. Yeah, and then we had this really weird thing. We started talking about nostalgia a lot and how mm. ubiquitous it is. We were talking a lot about how the world was ending. You know, I was meant to be writing a nature writing book about the end of the world and albatrosses and midway atoll, yeah. and I couldn't get out there because of lockdown. And also at that time, I didn't really want to write about the end of the world. I mean, you know, things were really grim. Yeah, the end of the world looked really close. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, let's do something fun. Let's write something subversive and fun. And that's made out of all the things we love and has things in it that we haven't seen that we want to see. And I said to Sen one day, hey, do you want to write a novella, like a sci-fi novella with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, um, it won't be a novella. And it's I'm like, yeah, it will. be like 40,000 words. 40,000. <laughs> <laughs> didn't turn out like that. No, <laughs> I was wrong. Sin's usually right. And then we just crammed into it, like all mm-hmm. the things we loved, you know, the, the sort of odd couple, um, all the kind of tropes from kind of Bond movies and Bourne movies. Man and from there was Uncle. Man from yeah. Uncle. There's loads of kind of video game stuff in there. You were, there is, what, you yeah. were playing Control? I was playing Control uh, by Remedy Entertainment. And, mm-hmm. uh, and as well, I was playing uh, Disco Elysium as well. Mm-hmm. And this was a lot of um, like shady government stuff or odd couple uh cop dramas and stuff like that and uh it really gave you a chance to look into the characters and the archetypes that these people were but um control was the one that really sparked it all yeah control has got this this sort of secret government um organization that has objects within it that have sort of achieved power through their use by people by humans they have this kind of resonant power and that i think was very much part of what what profit came from and also just watching the way that nostalgia was being used as engagement on social media. So you know, I don't know about you, but like, you know, when I occasionally go on Facebook or something like that, yeah. and I'll see like a, a picture of a candy bar from the 80s, you know, and I feel this kind of flush of emotion and I want to click, you know, and that mm-hmm. moment of wanting to click and that emotional engagement mm-hmm. was very much part of how we developed yeah. this substance called profit in the book. So I have a thing about nostalgia where for the most part, I think it's terrible. 
And mm-hmm. because I think the way people use it to manipulate others and themselves is just, it's, it's, it's blatant and it's disturbing. Yeah, right. It's really yeah. disturbing to me. So when I saw that you had weaponized nostalgia and profit, <laughs> that's pretty much between Rao and weaponizing nostalgia. I was like, yep, I'm here. <laughs> I'm I'm game. I will totally fight because I do think, and especially now we're living in a world where it's just like, there are people who really, really would like to go back to a historical period that they may not really fully understand or no, have all the this is a lot of it, right? Of, yeah. You know, little stuff like that. And like really obvious stuff, like the 50s would be great if you were a kind of well-off white person. Yeah, for you know, sure. That's fine. It works maybe. out for them. Yeah, maybe. But like everyone else is not going to have a good yeah. time. You know, this whole way it's been weaponized. And I mean, I remember going back to like, you know, I remember Reagan weaponizing it back in the, you know, the 80s, this whole oh, yeah, kind of about completely. white picket fences and sure. using it as a way of kind of, you know, pulling apart social. And you it's know, just like snowballed from there. It's snowballed yeah. from yeah. there. And, you know, we have this wonderful situation now, wonderful, terrible, where Hollywood is recycling IP to the point where it feels like it's in a death spiral, you know. I mean, we love Barbie and Oppenheimer because our yeah, book is yeah. basically a, a cross between, between the two. Barbie and Oppenheimer. <laughs> it really One is. It yeah. really does have animate <laughs> dolls running around secret nuclear towns in the desert. You know, it really is <laughs> like full on Barbie Oppenheimer. But like, it's a very strange place to be where we feel there's no future. Mm-hmm. Everything, mm-hmm. everything is calling back to the past. The yeah. sense of a progressive possible future is, is yeah. it just seems impossible now. So we kind of wrote the book to counter that. Yeah. And profit, honestly, for me as the reader felt like, it was a wink and a nod. And I was like, oh, great. Okay, you're in on the joke. Like, all of this feels bad in this moment. Like, everything outside of my door does not feel great in this moment. And yet, we have a couple of dudes. We have Rao and Adam. And Adam is, like, Adam is Adam, right? I know I keep coming back to Rao, but, like, <laughs> Chaos Machine is my guy. Adam is amazing. I mean, yeah. I adore Adam. Adam yeah, is my, he's it. like, he's like the Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. He is, yeah. he is the kind of the heart of the book for me. Yeah. I mean, I adore Rao. I found Rao very easy to write for reasons that I don't mm-hmm. want to examine too closely. <laughs> but, you know, we have this, this, this chaotic disaster with, you know, this chap with strange kind of powers, which you might talk about a little bit without too many mm-hmm. spoilers. And then we have this incredibly straight-laced military guy. Yeah, down the middle, all the way, all military the way. man. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But, you know, there's trauma in both their lives, and that's really what it's raised in the book. So here's the question, though. Do you start with the story? I mean, did you start with the idea of profit and wanting to do all? Because there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of, let's say, commentary on the world we live in. Right? And jokes. <laughs> and Lots jokes. of jokes. And jokes. There's tons <laughs> of jokes. And we're going to come back to okay. the jokes. But, I mean, you are doing big thematic work with lots of jokes, snappy dialogue, great visuals. It's very cinematic. There's a lot that's... and also just in terms of the sort of narrative thrust of the book, right? Like it just never slows down. But do you start with these two dudes or did you start with the idea? Like how, how did we get this novel? We kind of started with the dudes. Yeah, we started with, we, we, we knew the kind of characters that we wanted to write. And so we knew that starting but then, am I allowed to yeah, say the my actual dream. thing? Yeah, I had a dream, believe it or Helen not. Had How a dream. incredibly yeah. cheesy is this? And dreamt about uh, an American diner in a sugar beet field in rural England. Ah, Which is, up, okay. you know, there's a, there are loads of American Air Force bases near here. Yeah, and right. they're so strange to me. They're like, they're very eerie. They're basically little part, little bits of America just dropped into the country, to mm-hmm. the British countryside. And they they sort of float above the 
above the nation, as it were. And they're full of kind of, you know, American fast food chains. And yeah. it's, it's just, they've always fascinated me. But yeah, so I dreamed about a, a diner in the middle of a sugar beet field yep. in the fog, which is bizarre. And you um, dreamt and I about, dreamed about the this, actual substance. A silvery substance that there's some sort of, okay. you know, deep, deep covert military kind that of was project weaponizing, was weaponizing nostalgia. nostalgia so and I think some of that came from watching um, lectures by the amazing geographer Trevor Paglin, mm -hmm. who just done some amazing mm -hmm. work on the geography of kind of secret military sites in America. Mm -hmm. The yeah. fact that they're meant to be invisible, but, you know, people go into them and out of them and there's kind of, they need food and they exist. And there was something about that that, that I think made me dream about this bizarre place where bad actors were weaponizing nostalgia yeah. and i was like sin sin i've got an idea remember all the things we were talking about let's write a book let's about, write a book it. about <laughs> it but can we have our can we have our odd couple at the center yeah because yeah. yeah. they're the real they're the central they're the beating yeah yeah story. we always yeah. knew that we wanted to have it basically no matter what plot that we ended up like finalizing we knew that we wanted it all to move forward with a real beating heart of real people and that's that's what we did yeah, yeah. I think for a book like this too, if you don't have something to ground you, right? Like you're doing a lot. Yeah. You are There's doing a lot, lot going and, on. Yeah. And lots of satisfying stuff. But to be grounded in the world, I needed I needed characters that I could latch onto. And I know I sort of keep leaving Adam on the side, but the pair of them together kept me very, yeah. very grounded because like you said, Adam really is sort of Dorothy in the land of Oz figuring out what's going on. Rao is the messiest. I, I just, he's, you know, there's something kind of like, so the first scene, I'm going to talk about the first scene a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's sprung from prison, mm -hmm. um, which was taken, I think from, um, the spy who came in from the cold. I mean, yeah. you know, this <laughs> yeah, book yeah, is yeah. built of beloved tropes right from right. the beginning. And he's taken to this American airbase and shown this bizarre object, which is a diner that's shown up in the middle of a mm -hmm. field. And um, he is in a very bad way. He's he's in prison. He's come. He was he had this special power that meant that the CIA basically used him to help with their interrogations in these terrible black prisons in Kabul. And he basically lost lost the plot completely, and is in a yeah is in a terrible terrible state. So he's terrified. He comes back. He thinks they're going to send the Americans are going to send him back to the war and what i love about the first chapter is he's such a dick to he's everyone such a dick. <laughs> like and somehow we wanted him to be that but also lovable and i hope that we've put, we've managed to sort of yeah oh yeah oh yeah you know okay that's good can you confirm thank you very much yes. <laughs> we'll confirm absolutely um, since, since, since dad was really fun we, since dad read the book yeah i sent him like the first uh, yeah. 10 chapters very early on and uh, he's, you know, um, very like straight talking uh, Irish dude. And he says, you know, these, uh, this uh, Rao and Adam, they're ass. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. When you were on the right track. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to like, I mean, you have some nefarious folks sure. in this book that are not yeah. Rao and Adam. No. And I don't need to like, I need a story that I can hook into. And you've given sure. me characters that I really want to know what's going to happen to. Mm -hmm. And also this idea of weaponizing nostalgia, <laughs> especially as an American. I'm like, hi, I totally get that it's everywhere. I do get that. But at the same time, like I'm listening to Helen talk about American military bases overseas. I'm like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this idea that we can sit down and really think about, because part of it too, this book is very, very funny. But some of the funniest comedians in the world are some of the angriest people in the world. And yes. I think we yeah, need to talk angry. about like the 
the grief and the anger, like we're living in this world that like, it does feel like we're on the cusp of the end of everything. I mean, <laughs> New York was orange a month ago because of yeah. fires <laughs> yeah. in Canada. And, and, well, at the time of writing, I think LA was orange, right? It looked like yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it looked like it was Blade Runner and, yeah. uh, and everything was really scary. And again, we were mm-hmm. stuck in our houses. Everybody mm-hmm. was talking about the end of everything and the politicians that we were watching at the time, mm-hmm. you know, not just Americans because God damn, that was difficult to watch, especially mm-hmm. from a distance. But in UK and in Ireland, politicians were just blatantly lying, everybody not knowing what to do about it. And as well, using not just like, you know, the 90s babies will remember, or do you remember these chocolate bars from the 60s, mm-hmm. but also politicians using a mm-hmm. kind of nostalgia for remember when we were in charge and things were fine mm-hmm. do you remember that no nobody does but now yeah. that you've said this we're going to imagine a past yeah where that happened and it will feel safe yeah. mm-hmm. and this blatant lying was pissing us off yeah, so it was much. making us so angry yeah and and you know that that sort of sense like you know one of the characters in the books talks about this you know the fact that nostalgia was originally a military disease yeah. it was suffered by Swiss mercenaries, the story Mm -hmm. goes, um, in the 17th century. And they were sort of seeing ghosts and, 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 you know, really missing home and they were becoming non-functioning as, as, as fighting units. And back then the cures were opium and pain. So we made Rao an addict and a masochist, right? So there's, everything is kind of linked to this book. I remember reading this amazing book by, um, Svetlana Boyne, I think about nostalgia and there's an extraordinary quote about how if you break nostalgia into the two parts, so it comes from nostos, meaning a return to home and algae meaning pain mm-hmm. or longing. She's like the nostos, the sort of return to home is the scary bit, mm-hmm. right? That's the bit that you don't really want to kind of <laughs> go with. The longing can be positive. The longing for a place where things are better doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a, a reactionary, you know, right. yeah. thing. It can be a very, very open and, you know, a wonderful sort of thought. What kind of future do we want? But if you tie it to the home, instantly you start to think, who do I want to be at home with? And yeah, then it's all about shackling to your And then it becomes yeah. exclusionary. And we were like really careful, I think, in this book to just make sure that we made it as as full of different characters as possible yeah. from yeah. all kinds of places. And re- just, you know, we, we wanted it to be diverse and joyful. Yeah. And we wanted that joy, you know, amongst the darkness. I think that was a, one of the most subversive things, I think, at the well, time. Yeah, well, I think, at the t- uh, yeah, definitely at the time we were talking about how the only way to get through some of the darkest things is to laugh at it, right? Yeah, and so we, it's a very Irish. It's a very Irish way to look at it. But <laughs> if you're not going to laugh at it when you're at the gallows, then when are you going to laugh? Yeah. And it was dark at the time, sure. But we also wanted to talk about really serious things. Mm. And our, both our reactions when it's very serious things is to try to lighten the mood a little. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the harder we went on the scary things like politics or the war in Afghanistan that we do talk about and all kinds of things, loss, trauma, we still wanted it to be hilarious in a way that, you know, when you're crying, at least you're laughing. And yeah. when you're and laughing, feeling those you can two things crying. at once is very powerful. Yeah. Feeling the grief, feeling the loss, feeling the pain. And, and finding things funny. I think that's a really, it's quite a politically kind of, yeah. again, subversive sort of feeling to carry those contradictory things within you. It should be encouraged, I think. I think if too few people actually let them feel themselves feel everything. You yeah. know, they have to shut it down. I'm sad now, I must well, feel that's, sad. that's Adam, man. 
Adam holds a lot inside him, but yeah, I think that Adam's a complicated mess and, uh, and he does show that complicated, specifically American need to um, be only one thing yeah, yeah, and not let the complicated mess happen mm. because that's too messy. It's too difficult to explain. The, the cover needs to look exactly the same as the inside, and it so mm-hmm. rarely does. So, uh, so yeah, he, did that that. He, he would have found basic training very calming yeah. for him because he yeah, would know what to do, yeah. where to stand, what to, you know, whereas Rao is a creature of, you know, he's between everything, <laughs> you know, he's yeah. kind of. You know, he's not quite Indian. He's not quite British. He's not, you know, he's kind of non-binary and fluid. He doesn't really know. I mean, he just, he's, he just feels like he's nobody, but actually he's just got all of the different, he's, yeah. he's a you know, proliferation of different selves. And I think Adam finds that he's kind of envious of that. Envious know? and he's threatened in a really weird way, but he's obsessed in another way. And yeah, we, I think that we, we embody they that. They feel really well. real to yeah, us. In to fact, us, they feel so yeah. real to us now. And I think part of that is because when we wrote those characters, we have very strong versions of Rao and Adam in both of yeah. us. I, yeah, again, I, I do find, I found Rao easier. Shockingly, I found Adam easier. Shockingly, yeah. Sin found none Adam of this, easier. I'm sorry, as the reader, none of this surprises me. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the, the Rao's and Adam's in both our respective heads are slightly different from each other. Mm, yeah. And I think yeah. that was really exciting because it meant that when we wrote them, there's a kind of an epistemological space between those two characters that made the people on the page seem really complex mm-hmm. and real because there are loads of contradictions in them. Yeah. Yeah. So we, even now, you know, we had this really fun thing when we were writing it that Sin would occasionally just send me these little... Little snippets, snippets of dialogues. Yeah. We called them pezzes after the candy because they were yeah. like little. Just, mm-hmm. I, I just put these out. Yeah. And yeah. most of them were hilarious. I mean, like just raw with laughter. <laughs> and then we just build on them. And that's how he really wrote the book is build on these little character um, observations and bits of dialogue. Yeah. And they would expand into whole sections and chapters and stuff. So, yeah. it so was... in those back and forths, we would create different versions of the same people. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and we do believe that's why they're layered. Yeah. They're yeah. really yeah. real. They feel really real to us. And, and that, 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 process of of kind of this sort of dialectic of working together i mean there's no way i could have written anything as complex as this with just my brain no way yeah it's a two-brainer yeah yeah but for you guys as readers i mean are you reading for language first or character first or story first i go for character first. character yeah. first yeah. the story is character driven actually I yeah, think. yeah even though okay. we knew kind of we knew kind of what we wanted and where it would go the amount of plot stuff that was organically derived from listening to our Mm -hmm. characters talk to each other was enormous. Yeah. Yeah, So how much problem solving happens on the page though, when you guys are working back and forth, right? Like whether it's Pez's or DMs versus emails versus shared doc, there is still a lot of problem solving that happens. That's a very kind way of putting it. Well, but (laughs) I mean, think about it, right? Like how much of the writing is actually rewriting? Like this is something that. Oh, oh. actually really little. Right, because the way that we wrote it was actually um, like one person would write like a scene or a chapter or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever we could put out and then would send to the other. And Mm -hmm. when sending to the other, that's not just a here I wrote this. It was a here edit this, here change things, add things. What do I have to do to further the scene? Mm -hmm. What do you think should happen? What shouldn't happen? And then the other person would add their notes or rewrite that and then send it back. So it was a live edit mm, that it. was happening at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. This book, I think, is the most edited book in a long time. But like, 
we wrote it so quickly mm, because yeah. it was the two of us back and forth And it was daily. also really nice yeah. because, you know, writing is one of those things where sometimes, you know, you think, I really have to write something and then you just end up on the sofa all and day staring, eating ice cream yeah. and crying, you know. And in those periods, you know, the other person would pick up the slack yeah. and that was always lovely as well. Mm -hmm. So so you sent a pretty clean manuscript off then. Pretty clean. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. A lot of swearing. A lot of swearing. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was less there yeah, there's less swearing now than there was originally. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So yeah. All right, but let's talk about pacing and time for two seconds because you do a thing where you're cutting back in time and we're getting a little bit of backstory, very specific backstory, which obviously I'm not going to go into here. But this idea of cutting back and forth between uh, time wise when you're, you know, weaponizing nostalgia, right? Oh. Yeah. So that's a very deliberate choice. But also, again, the pacing is pretty pitch perfect. Like it, nothing Thank really you. slows down. Wow. We're always moving forward. Even when new characters are introduced, you know exactly what's happening in this world. And again, I think it's, I'm, I was so grounded because of Rao and Adam and their relationship mm -hmm. that I had fully bought in. But that's all tricky technical stuff. That's not just kind of it's, sitting on the sofa going, well, hey, I got an email. <laughs> That's really not. <laughs> well, I think as well, the w the way that we were collaborating on this is that mm -hmm. we were writing, for a start, we were writing a book that we wanted to read. Yeah. And so a lot of it was writing a book for the other person and making sure that the other person wasn't bored. So at no it's point. True. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. So at no point were we bored yeah. reading it or writing it. So we were pacing it for ourselves. So if the pacing is right, then we probably like the same kind of books and movies. But, um, you know, that's that's generally yeah, what we wanted we that kind of for. thrilling, propulsive kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. But also, like, I yeah. think the time thing is very important in this book, partly because, you know, one of the, again, sort of spoiler is both of these main characters don't suffer nostalgia for various reasons. So their backstories are very interesting in that regard. But mm -hmm. also, you come to understand later on in the book that the, the, the sort of concept of time itself and these, these, these men's stories or these people's stories is very, very complicated. Mm -hmm. And active. And active, yeah. right? Stuff that happens yeah. now ripples back in time. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the book, in a, in a sense, um, breaks down time yeah. in, a, in, a, in a number of ways. And it breaks down time in, in that regard in terms of causality. And I'd like to think the ending, you know, one of the things about nostalgia is that it's always backward-looking. It's backward-looking, backward-looking, right. backward-looking. The ending of the book is you reach a place where there's there's a sense of a kind of continuous present and a future, mm, yeah. which I think is is a really important kind of way out of the conundrum of of, of nostalgia, the yeah. trap of nostalgia. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, we're we're good. We we we, we sound. We didn't talk like so. We were writing it. We were just swearing at each other and laughing. This, well, this well, all... we're, well, we're very good. <laughs> It's clear that you were having a lot of fun writing this book. I'm sorry. I just, I mean, I flew. It's also. It's big. It's, it's not 20,000 words. It is not tiny, this book. And it flies. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. But I want to go to genre for a second, too, because a lot of the sort of conversation around profit when it was first announced beyond the partnership was also this idea that it was going to be genre bending. And I'm one of those people. I have very sort of Catholic reading taste, right? Like I, I will pretty much read anything. I have things that I am drawn to and that mm -hmm. I love and that I have read deeply in, but you know, I'm a bookseller. I read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to talk to you about genre for a second, because I mean, it's so clear that you both love spy thrillers and lots of other stuff, but you know, there's this new category called romanticy. 
which oh, is like yeah. fantasy novels with big, big romance, and but we're shelving them in fantasy. Okay, but does it need a name? I like, don't know. Why are we always so quick to give something a name? Like, why can't we just? Have I an agree. Awesome book? I'm going to sit forward for sit, this. Watch out! Sit, sitting <laughs> I'm forward. sitting forward for this. <laughs> right back. No, but this is actually this is a lot of like the undertow of a lot of what we were writing about was yeah we were dealing with archetypes and tropes and um, different genres but a lot of that has to do with not wanting to be put into a box about whatever else right because this is actually really dangerous in terms of. Not just writing, not just media, but in terms of politics and in society, all these little boxes that everybody is so quick to put themselves in. Right. And then if there's anything that like pokes out of the box a little, then oh, then it's genre bending. It's this, then that. We have to do a portmanteau of what it is and figure that out. It's like, well, isn't it life more complicated than? sci-fi life more complicated than fantasy well nature writing too i had that with nature writing the sense that nature writing was extremely constricted territory you know Mm -hmm. it was very i mean i'm going back to it obviously i love it but you know the the notion that you i mean um, david gessner wrote a wonderful essay on this called sick of nature he said you know woe betide you if you swear or mention brand names in a nature Mm -hmm. writing book you know right so i think it was definitely on purpose that we decided to to really just just pull everything yeah, together. We messed but around not, with everything, mm-hmm. but not because we wanted to necessarily break those genres. But we no. just we just sort of loved them all, you know. <laughs> and every genre plays into another. Yeah, yeah, really easily. And the idea that one thing can only be a fantasy book is nuts to me. For instance, the like the romanticy idea. There's so much more to a lot of um, genre books than what shelf we're putting them on. And uh, and I think that's just really, really important yeah. thing to me. I don't know. But our book I, is a huge, huge romance. Yeah, it is a huge yeah. romance, to be fair. Very satisfying. <laughs> Good, thank you. But art should, I mean, isn't that the whole purpose of art? Like for us to process where we live and what we're doing and the decisions we make? I mean, that's the whole purpose the whole point and to look at the boxes and the walls and whether there yeah. are walls mm-hmm. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. i mean art is political <laughs> like yeah. i yeah art is always it sure it you is. can yeah. be writing yeah. a romance you can write why art is political yeah and yes you have to have a point of view i mean actually helen i was thinking a little bit about your spy in the cuckoo from vesper oh, the Maxwell Knight, yes. like, honestly as i was reading this because and I'm going to ask you to explain that essay much better yeah. than I just yeah. did, because I know you have a summary of it. But I really was thinking about that guy and his cuckoo and the language that overlaps between bird watching mm-hmm. and, and spies. Because and and yeah. this is a profit really flows in a lot of ways. I can see. I mean, certainly Sin, the video games, I totally I was like, yeah, she's got to be a gamer. I mean, they've got to be yeah. a gamer. <laughs> that I saw immediately. But at the same time, Helen, there is work that I can see flowing out of Vesper Flights a little bit and a little bit out of H is for Hawk. And so like this idea that genre, you know, is the be all end all. I'm kind of like, "Mm, mm, yeah, that's, I remember video games. We wouldn't have profit. Right. Like, right. No, I remember, I remember there's a couple of things to say about that. One is to talk about, I think about um, internet fiction, internet fan fiction is also really important, but I just want to say like, one of the things that's really funny about this, I remember years ago, I was being asked to, to illustrate a book and it was about birds. And the mm-hmm. commissioning editor said to me very worriedly, can you draw mammals? And I was like, what? And she said, can you draw mammals? I'm like, I could draw anything. <laughs> I, I, can't, 
and I, this is how I feel when people sort of say, but you're a nature writer. It's like, well, look at my nature writing. It's full of military. It's full of yeah. territoriality. It's full of like grief and loss and trauma and yeah. love and how we think about the past and how we we use nature to prove our notions of nationalism to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it's kind of about the same thing. Yeah. Only it hasn't oh, got it's as totally many about the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's totally about the same thing. But the um yeah, I think both of us feel really strongly about about that one you know, one of the the sort of places we draw on with joy for this, um, not draw on, but like as, as kind of influence in the sense that it's a swim, the the swim, the sea we've both swam in for many years yeah. is internet fan fiction, which yeah. we both adore, in that it's this extraordinary ecosystem of you know, people taking um, stories that are, you know, and 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 making and transforming them into into other stories, yeah. and it's kind of ignored still by the by the establishment and considered somehow, you know, not less quite, than yeah, less yeah. than. And some of the most extraordinary work I've ever read has been in that form. And a lot of the tropes in this book are kind of loving uh, responses to you know. To some tropes from from yeah. fan fiction, yeah. and so so you know we we sort of thought about the book in, in some ways as a what do you say about a fan fiction? It's for a fan a, fiction for something that doesn't exist. Yeah, yet. and I think that that's a lot of the reason why we had so much fun writing it as yeah. well is because we we were creating the thing that we wanted to write fan fiction about, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so whenever we did write, it felt well, it does sound a bit up ourselves, doesn't it? It does a little bit. Yeah, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we got to. We got to really play with it, yeah. and that meant that mm -hmm. when we did something, especially me, I I wasn't so sure. I would like early on, I would be kind of nervous about like writing too much or um, pushing too much because you know it's hell, and mm -hmm. and I was me, and so it was it was kind of a really nervous kind of thing. I'd like, oh, I wrote this thing, I'm not quite sure about it, and it was just fun, and I produced it, and then suddenly that was part of the book. That was how the ending was written. I remember That's this because we were very nervous about the ending. The last few pages of the book, which are devastating. I still cry when I read them because, you know, I'm such a sentimental old sod. But that was in, that was you just, you just turned up with them one day and with said, like, oh, uh, I just yeah. read this for fun. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. there it is. <laughs> That's the ending, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I think one of the things that people who don't write, and I've, I've heard this from many, many writers, and I love mm -hmm. that it's so general. And it's that sense that when you're writing, if you occupy that position as author, nothing really happens. You have to kind of trick yourself into writing yeah. all the time. You have to mm -hmm. sneak up on yourself. You have to sneak a lot. up on yourself, or it doesn't happen. And mm -hmm. I remember a few times where I think I think a, someone described writing as being like on a. It's like a bit like whitewater rafting. You just have to hang on and pray. Um, <laughs> and the book sometimes felt a bit like that. So that right. was, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of it's it's kind of a yeah an homage to all the things we love, and it is very angry. But um, but it's I'm a lockdown so proud book. Of it. Yeah, I'm yeah. proud of it too. We were angry, and we were doing a lot of things that we loved and hated, and we made a book out of it. And you may as well make it funny. Yes, yeah. exactly. Why I mean, not make it funny? The dialogue. Oh my god. We, oh. we dialogue in this book when, is so good. <laughs> when we're together, we'll like sometimes pick it up, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, open open it up and read uh, bits and laugh at each other because mm -hmm. again, we don't agree. On yeah. who wrote what when we like a part. Yeah. It's always going to be down to, no, you wrote that because I like that. Mm -hmm. one, one of the decisions that was very important in this book, actually. Sorry, this has just become me and Sin talking at you. I'm so sorry. It's all Laura. good. I, wait, am I complaining? I am not complaining. No, no. We, <laughs> we decided really early on that we wanted it to be in close third. So we're yeah, always yeah. in the heads of the characters, apart from some little sections, which are in italics, which yeah. are explained later. 
So I really think it was something really extraordinary to write inside people's heads mm-hmm. about a substance, about a thing, this profit thing that they don't really mm-hmm. understand. And you reach the end of the book, and there are clues all the way through the book about what this is and what's happening, mm-hmm. but that we the reader isn't given them. They're not kind of handed yeah. on a tray oh, because no. you, you only ever get what it is through, yep. the, through the eyes of these yeah. very infallible that was, really that was really important. Yeah, that was really important. Yeah, we didn't want early on. we didn't want we didn't want it to be um, insulting. In, yeah, yeah, we didn't we, want to talk we down to, to readers. Trust people. Yeah, trust yeah, the readers because we liked it when we read things and we felt trusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and we wanted to extend that to other people. Yeah, we yeah we would be having a very different conversation about a very different book if you had done that. I think <laughs> you know every reader brings their own experience yeah. to a book. I think that just opens you up to a really wild reading experience. We do have thoughts because I obviously, you know, nature writing is something I want to get back to, but we yeah. definitely have thoughts. There are things in this book that are. That have opened doors for that have us. Opened doors for, to be oh. resolved in a future yeah. books. So we, we won't be able to leave yeah. these characters alone. Yeah. Around Adam are going to haunt us forever. I know yeah. it, you know, yeah, complaining sure. at us. I was pretty clear from that, honestly, after <laughs> reading it. I was like, yeah, they're not done. I don't no, know what done. I don't know what it looks like. Yeah. But it's clear to me that you're not done. But I have one question that I have to ask because I was talking to my dude about this book and explaining the book to him and he just said Terry Pratchett? Wait, do they read Terry Pratchett? So I just <laughs> did Terry Pratchett ever enter into the I'm just asking on his behalf because I was like I don't know. I have never read Terry Pratchett okay. and I hang my head in shame. I was weaned on Pratchett. Okay. Yeah. So, um, my, I was, uh, my babysitter in mm-hmm. Ireland was a Scottish man who mm-hmm. was obsessed with Pratchett. And basically he would make sure that I went after school, he would okay. like put another book down in front of me. So, yeah. So there we are. Pratchett's a okay, huge So you've done Shared all of brain. Discworld. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I just, you know, honestly, I've read a couple of the Discworlds, but it's been a really long time. So I was just like, I don't know. I'm going to go to the source. I have to read them now. Well, I, I should. I, that's I really should. funny. I wouldn't have thought that that was an inspiration, but I guess it must be. It's so foundational. Yeah, those those, so those things are very deep, yeah. you know. And I, I always laugh because you know, Le Carre to me is a hugely deep influence on this, and mm. it, it does make me laugh because I, I always imagine what would happen if um, George Smiley what, met Rao. It would be like <laughs> the worst, worst meeting. They would loathe each other. I quite often think about that. It'd be really funny. I would like to read that, please. <laughs> should, well, should we'll read, email you. Should, yeah, we'll email you. We'll, we'll have a go. <laughs> because honestly, I'm sorry. Is I George, stop laughing. George, George really... Smiley testily rubbing his glasses on his tie while Rao just goes off on one, you know. Yeah. Oh, that'd be really good. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, before I let you go, though, what's next? I mean, we, yes, we talked about a larger sort of Maybe this is happening, but also, do we get the Albatross book at any point now that the world is? Yeah, up? I'm hoping to go back this winter to okay. to go back to, to Midway Atoll in the Pacific, mm-hmm. this astonishing place that I went out there in 2018 and got really mm-hmm. ill. I actually had to come home early. So oh. going out there is really, it's this amazing kind of Ballardian. It's an ex-naval air station, mm-hmm. you know, with ruined buildings, you know, everywhere. Because it was cheaper to leave stuff there rather than take it off. It's so remote. And every sort of three foot, there's an incubating albatross sitting on the mm-hmm. ground. And albatrosses, to me, so much sort of, they're extraordinary creatures, but they also have so often represented guilt and shame in poetry that I think mm. a book about the end of the world and about shame and about and about love and where we are, uh, that's really going to, it's going to focus on this island. And I'm really excited about it. 
But I'm also excited about at some point getting back to um, telling more stories about our terrible men. Terrible men. Yeah. yeah. We're really proud of them. And uh, like Helen said, they won't leave us alone. No. I'm still sending pezzes about mm-hmm. little bits and pieces that come. And uh, I, I was, uh, I was actually, I was in a group video game a couple mm-hmm. of days ago and during the loading screen, I was writing down notes that, that could, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry, world, there's going to be sorry. more of these terrible yeah. men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad to you read about it. terrible men. I would like it to be these terrible men, please. <laughs> <laughs> these ones are preferred. <laughs> well, we really hope that people have fun with it. Yeah, yes. that was, I mean, more than anything else, you know, there's the politics, there's the the sort of atmosphere and stuff, but the, 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 the the fun, the the sort of wild ride of it yeah. is, I, I yeah. hope, what people will enjoy. So I had a really good time, and again, I walked into it cold. I really walked into I walked into this book entirely cold. Elizabeth slid it across the table to me and just said, <laughs> "I'm telling you," and I was like, "Okay." I mean, <laughs> bless you, Elizabeth. Bless your you. editor has good taste. What can I say? But I was like, "All right, I have no oh, idea." She's been amazing. Me. She was great yeah, with the editor. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's just it's one of those rare moments right where you just walk into something absolutely cold and i was like okay let's see and and i'm really hoping that people come to it yeah in sort of the spirit that it's intended right like it's wild this book i cannot think my eyes are getting really big just thinking about and i'm laughing again because i mean i know we just talked about terry pratchett a little bit but like this book stands on its own it does its own thing it's just profit here well, there's a lot of very very say. very scary children's toys in it so apologies to anyone oh, who's yeah, uh, i don't apologize actually, actually, yeah mm, no i'm not apologizing i'm sorry okay. i didn't write it i'm not apologizing i had a really good time reading it there's some stuff that goes down that i said to you yeah. earlier which obviously we're not going to say on the air but um i love how mysterious this is this is yeah great. it's all very covert yeah, yeah. Hi, in keeping in the spirit of the thing exactly <laughs> <laughs> but this is where i get to say profit is out now and everyone should just go read it. Helen Sin, thank you so much for joining us on Portland. Thank you. It's been such fun. Thank you. Bless you for those questions. Take care. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.